Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Good Grow Great podcast. I'm Talia Toha and this is Six Degrees of Greatness. This is the segment on our podcast where we bring in one, two or three people together from various different backgrounds, various different stages in their business, career, work and life. Some people who are just starting out with what they're doing, others who are a little bit further ahead, 10, 20, even 30 years into what they're already doing. And we kind of deconstruct and unpack really what makes them great, what makes things move for them, even in a small way, or even have them deconstruct for us why they were able to break records, but still kind of retain that purpose and meaning for what they do. So today, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to touch on basically if you guys are feeling like you're in a rut, okay, what to do, right? Are there ways, better ways to get out of a rut? Um, If you're thinking about, okay, where should I, where should I start now if I'm hitting a plateau? There's too much to do. I need to be better at XYZ. My messaging is not landing, etc. This is the episode for you. And we're bringing Kyle Stout, who went from playground toothpick sales to providing music for hundreds of people to cleaning for a living and now attracting ideal clients at Elevate and Scale, his business. And he's going to be sharing ways that he attracted 100% of his ideal clients and waste less time in uh, in the time being. Now, key elements of messaging of your, that your offerings have to also contain content and everything so that you can sell without the sleaze. And Kyle's going to talk about that a little bit. And also he's going to share about how to deal with hundreds of people at a time. And this is a lesson that he learned while DJing at weddings. Obviously, this is useful for any of you guys who run programs, who are in charge of different groups, right, webinars and so forth. Um, And this is going to be useful for you. And he's also going to be sharing third grade toothpick sales lessons that informed his approach to digital marketing and why we should pay attention. Uh, Also, biggest mistakes that he had made when first starting a cleaning business. And yes, it involves bowel movements. So let's, uh, I cannot wait to share with you his experience with this. We also have today Bernardine Cloti, who is a South African entrepreneur focusing on video production for creative businesses. Her experience in TV commercials and storytelling through virtual platforms is just the beginning of the story today. She's going to share with us how losing her brother to cancer 12 plus years ago taught her a very important lesson that she'll never forget and also ways that she manages a crew of people and why every business owners need to learn this skill even if you're not in that particular space also she'll be talking about dealing with an embarrassing moment with her zipper her pants zipper and what it taught her about bouncing back now bro solvers if you haven't already don't forget to hit follow or subscribe or add and collect if you're on pandora Let's dive in. All right, we have Kyle. 
Stout and Bernadine Cluit here. Welcome, you guys. I am so excited to have you guys both here. And I think the audience is going to learn a lot from you guys. I have a feeling this is good because whenever we have multiple people on who are coming from different parts of the world, it's just uh, become this dynamic conversation and uh, everyone's having a good time. So I actually want to start with you, Kyle, because as I mentioned before, we started rolling. You seem to have lived this kind of diverse, multiverse past lives. I mean, you've gone from cleaning someone's bathroom and cat litter. You've gone when you were very little, actually. It seems like you, you had mentioned that you have sold flavored toothpicks even. Let's start there. Let's start with the flavored toothpicks. This was when you are, was it third grade when you kind of came up with this idea? Yeah, I think it was like third or fourth grade. And the thing is that I was always interested in entrepreneurship. So that's kind of what led the the weird path of careers because I, I saw every job that I had as a teenager as a chance to, I always approached it like, okay, I'm going to learn something that I can go take later and apply to business later. Cause I just, I just really believed that from a young age that that's where I was headed. Um, and, but the, the toothpick thing that was, I guess, you know, like my, my first real attempt at, at entrepreneurship. And it just kind of, it's like this weird thing where there was this trend where people liked the, I say people, kids in, in my school, liked these flavored toothpicks and they would buy them from, I don't know, the local grocery store or something. And I had found out from a friend that if you went to the pharmacy, you could ask for this, this cinnamon extract that was so strong, you had to get it from behind the counter. And I started making my own by dipping these toothpicks in that extract. And then I would put them in this little foil, like pouch of five and sell them in little packs of five. And it was actually a a really popular thing, you know, everyone was, was buying them and it was, it was pretty fun. Um, but then I got some competitors that came in and they couldn't compete with how spicy mine were. So they started putting a bunch of pepper and Tabasco and random stuff and they, they couldn't figure out my formula. And then kids started having allergic reactions to them and then they all got banned from the school. So I also, was it wasn't even down. your toothpicks. It was the, your, as you call, I love how this is, these are third graders and you guys are calling each other competitors. This yeah. is, these are because of those other uh, people's toothpicks. Is that right? Yeah, no, they were the ones that, they were the ones that actually ruined the whole thing basically. And they were so determined to, you know, beat my, my secret formula, even though it was really just this extract that they just didn't know about. So is it a common thing for, for kids in your school for that to happen? Is that just within your group of friends? Because it is curious for me to hear everyone's kind of childhood stories before they became business owners, you know, career professionals, people who are serious about what they do. And it seems like everyone does have slightly different childhood and definitely school settings. Is that something that is, that's just happened in your group of friends? Uh, not in the school, but that particular group of friends, like the, the people I call competitors, we were really friends. It was friendly competition, but, um, they were, they were, yeah, like they did other things where they had started this little club that, you know, you had to be invited into and they had, they had done some other like funny, uh, there weren't really business things, but there were things, if you look at it now, it's like, you could see the entrepreneurial spirit in them. Mm-hmm. You could see the kind of natural leadership, you know, but no, it wasn't like that was a thing at our school, but amongst me and a few others, yeah, we always kind of had an interest in it. 
Yeah, so this is really interesting because I do hear stories like, for instance, Mark Cuban, right, who started, I think, selling out trash bags, selling trash bags and going door to door, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong on that, but it does sound fairly grassroots, kind of like you, with something very small, like a household item. And that's how he started out, really. And now, of course, he, he's a billion dollar uh, company and Dallas Mavericks and all that. And so I love that this is kind of something that you're your community and people around you are encouraging you. I mean, we all hear about your being the kind of average, that concept of you being the average of the five people that you surround yourself with, right? And so I love that this is something that, some place where you start. Now, had the parents, had mom and dad, were they kind of like looking at you with your toothpicks and going like, what are you, what are you doing, Kyle? <laughs> like, or were they kind of like, oh, good, yeah, let's do it. So interestingly enough, um, and I don't mean to put my mom down here, but she was totally not into it at all. (laughs) In fact, when she found out, she, uh, I think this just has, you know, some people have negative attitudes about entrepreneurship and, and people hustling and doing things like that. And she thought because I was just like selling some random thing in the schoolyard that it was going to lead to me later selling drugs or something like that's what she said. And so she was actually kind of upset about it. And, and um, not that she discouraged me later in life, but she was definitely discouraging about that one. Yeah, this is kind of, and I like how, well, maybe because it comes from a child and particularly their own child. And now me being, of course, a parent on my own, I think it's, you always look at certain people a certain way. And I think that's kind of part of the struggle of being an entrepreneur or being somebody who wants to kind of break out of a certain mold, maybe even that it's, it's almost like you trying to convince people around you who knew you for certain things. That's almost the hardest part, perhaps. I mean, of course, this is a, a mild example, not even something that uh, I think a lot of people have, have faced in terms of, I guess, resistance, right? And and so, but I like that that's kind of where you started. And I'm kind of curious though, Bernadine, because now you grew up, you're in Central Africa, but do you, do you also grow up there or is that a place that you moved to recently? No, no, I always have been in Johannesburg. So I've been in the city most of my life and I've worked all around South Africa doing videos um, facilitating international commercials. So, yeah, I've worked all over the show and it's been, I think I've been based in Johannesburg most of my life. And is it kind of from the, a very young age, you're very aware of this concept? Because personally, I didn't really get into business until later in life, right? I've always known about business and, and uh, how to earn on your own and all that stuff, but it's never been in my environment. Was that the case for you as well, Bernadine? Or is that uh, Afri- Central Africa is fairly uh, kind of this uh, new grounds and, and exciting grounds for entrepreneurs? No, definitely. Um, It was something I always saw myself, I always wanted to have a business. My father ran his own business and it always excited me. Um, So I always uh, used to watch television programs and want to be one of those producers or one of those TV stars as a kid. And, you know, I followed my dreams and it, it eventually worked out. And I'm enjoying technology so much nowadays with marketing so doing the mix with the video and the marketing it's been fantastic it's just so much transformation taking place what were some shows because you mentioned that you had seen some shows when you were young and I like to learn about this because I think 
certain things that we see, read, watch, right, and learn when we were young, it is so yeah. ingrained in our brain. Like I can even remember certain moments from when I was, I was like seven, yeah. right? And I never will forget it. Not the same now when I'm in my 30s. It just, things are not as, as crisp anymore. But what were some of those shows that you had mentioned inspired you to? So, so, I can't remember the name of the one a film with Michael J. Fox, but they were all business executives. And... Uh, I actually can't remember what what that was, but it, it was so silly. It was, um, I remember watching TV as a kid, watching Kirk Cameron and Scott Baio. <laughs> Kirk Cameron, the, the uh, Growing Pains Kirk Cameron, is that what you're saying? Yes. What does he so, do nowadays? I have no idea. He's actually a reborn Christian, apparently. Oh, okay. And he's doing Christian movies. Well, and that's interesting because I grew up in Indonesia and we only get a number of syndicated uh, shows and and they're all highly, of course, censored and everything. And we don't get, I think, the quite the vast amount of uh, shows and TV channels that I would have liked as some of my friends now in America have shared, even my husband who's like, oh yeah, you didn't ever watch that show? I'm like, no, I've I never even heard of it. Uh, were there anything like that, Kyle, in your childhood that you were, I mean, aside from like Saturday morning cartoons or whatever, that kind of inspired you to kind of lead on this, this wild ride as an entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of, there were certain things like, for example, the game Monopoly, the board game Monopoly, like that was inspiring to me as a kid, even though it's just a game. Um, but I noticed, you know, now entrepreneurship is the cool thing, which I think is awesome. Um, but I always, whenever I, even like watching the Simpsons, the Simpsons, for example, you had Mr. Burns, he's the bad guy. But I always thought to myself, I, I saw all the stuff he had. I saw that, you know, he had this big business and everything. And I thought, man, that's kind of cool. Like, what if someone did that and they were actually a good person? You know, what would that look like? But I always paid attention to the entrepreneur character in movies and shows. I just always thought that was the move. I thought that person had it figured out, you know, and like they were the one I was paying attention to. Yeah. And I think this is, and what's interesting is when you brought up the Simpsons, Simpsons, I think even that show itself, if you see the group behind the show, right, Seth MacFarlane and just him doing like a bunch of different voices, it's very kind of in the same grains, I think, as what everyone here are doing, right? Like they, he's doing multiple things at once, wearing multiple hats, just kind of uh, dabbling from one place to another, trying things out, getting a laugh, getting not such big of a laugh, you know, and just kind of that constant, um, I guess, exposure to, okay, this is things that bomb and those other ones are things that really work out. I think that's, that's I think, some of the things that really kind of stuck to me when I, was, uh, when I was a kid. Now, speaking of family, right, you were, Kyle, you were a DJ <laughs> at weddings back before mm-hmm. you were, you're now, of course, uh, at Elevated Scale, you're helping people with messaging and their company and sales and all that good stuff. Now, because I've been to multiple weddings, and this is a number of years ago, and I always, without fail, I feel like there's always one or two things that kind of stood out that I was like, okay, this is just weird. Like a drunk uncle or, you know, the DJ forcing like a, a, a loop of Beatles to a group who don't even know who Beatles are. You know, so like what are some things that you've noticed from your time DJing 
as kind of, okay, these are lessons of things that I shouldn't do as, as a business owner, perhaps. And if you can share that with the audience, that'd be great. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so that I was very fortunate to work for the, an entrepreneur who had started that company in his dorm room in college, in a college year. Um, and they had blown up. It was the second biggest DJ company in the country at the time. I think the company was only like two or three years old, maybe when I started. So, and the guy, the guy who owned it, uh, his name is Clay Clark. Uh, he kind of became a mentor and he really pushed on all of us, all the DJs, we were all subcontractors and he really pushed on us that, you know, you are your own business and was trying to teach us business lessons. And to this day, I still remember some of the things he shared because he would like drill it in our minds. And one of them being uh, over promise and over deliver. So most people will tell you to under promise and over deliver. And his whole thing was, no, we're going to make a big promise up front to get the sale. And so they're already thinking like, okay, this sounds almost too good to be true. And then we're going to go over that so that we can get great referrals and reviews and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then another two other things was one is that he had us overly prepare for every gig we did, meaning we had to have like backups of all of our hardware. So we would travel out to whatever location with backup hardware for most of the, the stuff we needed, like not backups for everything, not every light or whatever, but like our main DJ board, um, certain cables and certain things that tend to go out. And he would always tell us that, look, something always goes wrong and you're never going to know what it's going to be until it happens. And so just be prepared. And if you're, if you're always prepared for anything to go wrong, you won't freak out. You'll be able to deal with it. Uh, and that has really, really helped me as I've gone on in life because I've just learned in business that something always goes wrong inevitably. Um, and then the last one was he was huge on networking. He made us, he made sure that we had to network with every other vendor at every event or every wedding. So we had to pass, we had to at least pass out our card to five different people and get the card of five other people and, and have a genuine connection with them and have a genuine conversation with them. That was like part of the job to do that. And that's something that I, that have carried with me as well, where you realize that a lot of these chance encounters with people, if you create a genuine connection and you start a relationship, those things play out, you know, maybe even months or years later, but they lead to other opportunities or you just maybe helping them out or something. And it's, that I've found to be one of the biggest things to play out over the years. Yeah. And it's usually years, right? To your point, mm -hmm. as far as, and I've, I've discovered some of my biggest opportunities, even before I've, uh, I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Years ago, I remember realizing, oh my goodness, I had met this person three to five years ago on this random event or whatever, and with, from this person or whatever else it is. And at that point, there was, you know, there was no, of course, there was no business relationship or whatever, work relationship, but then then things start to unravel and then, oh, you know what, I can think of that person and reached out to them or whatever. So it is really interesting that again and again, we have to be reminded that things do take time, you know, and, and opportunities do take time. And I think to your point, though, as far as taking time, over-preparing, I think, is definitely really important for, I think, particularly if, you, if people are just starting out, if people are just, you know, the audience who's listening who might just be thinking of starting something new. That's totally cool because we don't know, you know, right? You, you don't know at that point. Um, but I am curious to hear because Bernadine here, you do videos, right, for people and, and marketing and all that good stuff. And I've discovered that in video, sometimes you do encounter 
kind of that, uh, and my family used to do a lot of kind of filming and, and directing, and those are scripted even. So if you're kind of doing all these videos for different people, what are some, what are some things perhaps that had happened when you're sharing the service to other people that maybe you're like, oh, that's going to take another, because of that noise in the background or whatever, that's going to take like another 20 minutes. And how do you kind of counteract that uh, the, those types of situations goodness we um well we have our pas our production assistants uh, standing in the background which will we'll quickly get them on the walkie-talkie and tell them to go and do some crowd control um quieting down the people um some things you can't really control so sometimes you've got to stop filming and just pick it up again but then you've lost i mean every every bit of time every minutes is more money <laughs> so yeah. it's an expensive industry it's actually crazy but um you know you all it's always troubleshooting you always find a solution to everything somehow yeah, yeah. and you do yeah. work kind of you you work you learn by fire sometimes right and yes, um, exactly. i think particularly in your space when you're filming and things happen and this is just kind of to show uh, people who are listening and i know a lot of people who are listening are thinking about their content and what what types of things to mm-hmm. to put out right videos and all of these things uh and how to kind of produce it in some ways right and it does sometimes take more than just yourself i mean bernadine you're talking about your pa and um, I, of course, you can do it all by yourself, but that does usually take longer, right? And yeah. um, which kind of reminds me, I think, as far as going back to Kyle's experience in weddings previously, I remember one of the biggest revelation after my wedding, I was like, I should have hired somebody to just manage all of the, like the whole wedding, you know, like I should have just given it to my friend who probably would have done it for free. And then I could just enjoy the wedding and just be there uh, instead of like, Oh, you know, uh, got to pay the photographer, got to do this. And, you know, so I do encourage people who are, if that's within you guys' means, that's totally the way to do it. Right. Which is, uh, which is really cool. Now, Speaking of learning by fire, uh, I want to I share for uh, real quickly. This seems weird, though, Kyle, because like you, you for a long time ago, it sounds like you had started a cleaning company and then something happened where you ended up having to be on your perhaps, uh, you know, kind of literally knees and hands uh, doing the dirty work. Can you tell us what is the story? Can you share a little bit more about this? Okay. Yeah. So there was a, I would consider this a period of time where I had massive shiny object syndrome early. This was whenever I had, um, I had been freelancing as a copywriter is really how I got into the digital marketing world. And I was just starting, you know, trying to build my skill set, And, uh, and I would, I just love to test things like myself as opposed to just learning it. And a lot of people who had my skill set were doing something where they go start a local service business and they use their digital marketing skills to outmarket the existing competition. I thought, oh, that's that's that sounds like a fun idea. I want to try that. So I decided to do that with this cleaning business um, in my town here. And it turns out, yeah, I mean, I I had the digital marketing side down. The marketing was great, but I was terrible at recruiting and training the cleaners. And I found out this is a huge problem in the industry that never goes away. Um, that every business in the industry deals with this. And especially in my market, it was just the, it seemed like the best people were taken. And um, long story short, I, <laughs> I have this terrible job 
lined up and the cleaning lady doesn't show up, which is no call, no show. Um, and these people really needed it done that day. So, and I always, I'm a big believer in that no matter what you do in any business that you should be willing to do the lowest job in your mm-hmm. business if you have to, meaning if you own a restaurant that you're willing to sweep the floors or, you know, clean the dishes or whatever. Um, so I just looked at my wife and I was like, do you want to go? <laughs> you want to go with me? Actually, she wasn't my wife at the time. Um, and then, so we did it and it was, it was the worst thing ever. I literally decided after that, not just to totally shut down the business not long after, because I realized this is not for me because it was, yeah, I mean, it was a kind of a sad situation because it was a woman whose parents, um, their health had deteriorated a lot mm. uh, physically and mentally. So they weren't able to take care of their home. And she had, she had to travel a lot for work and she had been gone. And long story short, this, this place was, um, pretty extreme like if you've ever seen the hoarder type of shows yes oh my pretty goodness. pretty when i say pretty infested i mean like physically huge piles of dead cockroaches uh, yeah. like in all the cabinets where their food was and they actually oh had goodness. food in there they were eating still um i mean yeah. cat pee all over the place oh. bugs and rats and stuff all anyways so we're trying to clean it was a huge task to try to clean through all of this and i remember i had quoted the woman five hundred dollars which is kind of high for a home cleaning, but for this type of cleaning and how much time we put into it, by the end, it was actually really low. (laughs) But at the time we just, we needed the money. So it was like, look, we're going to have to do it. And yeah, after that, I realized, okay, from here on out, I'm not doing any business where I'm not willing or I won't enjoy, you know, or at least be willing to do any task in the business. Yeah. And I like, I I actually like that takeaway. I think a lot of people, I think particularly when they're trying certain things, right. They then become a little bit prideful of, of, Oh, I'm, I, I can do it. Right. And they're not honest with themselves. So I actually appreciate the fact that you're honest with yourself and just be like, not doing this. This is not for me or something. Right. And it's fine. It might be for other people. Right. And I think this, tend to this kind of like introspection and understanding of what are some things that you're willing to do and what are some things that you're not willing to do really does sometimes make the break make or break really your survival right and i i always notice particularly from some of the big names out there in multiple different domains whether that's uh, entrepreneurship you know filmmaking all these things the best people who have this long life in their business right is really the are really people who enjoy right actually enjoy the process and even if it's not all enjoyable they don't mind it they actually find it interesting maybe challenging maybe or whatever and that's something that they take uh take value right and and it's not just about the outcome i think which is which is interesting and uh, i still remember watching uh this is interesting because jerry seinfeld of course the the great comedian he apparently sometimes would takes like he would take two years to write one joke like a one five minute joke and he was interviewed in one of the media outlets and he was saying that he just happened to enjoy that creative process of figuring out what ticks, what doesn't, and all of these things, right? And I am curious, I think particularly in the filmmaking industry and produce, you know, production industry, uh, Bernadine, is this something that, that called you the process or was it because of more kind of other things? Maybe it's people around you, like you've mentioned before. Um, I think it definitely was the process. Um, 
Oh, absolutely. It's a, it was my, I had this clear goal and I needed to achieve it. Um, and you've got to have clarity on your vision. It was something like putting a, a vision board up <laughs> and making sure that I get to these goals. And having a clear vision and going after your dreams, I always like say to my son, you've got to have your passion. You've got to feel passionate. If you enjoy it, go for it. Put, put everything you have into it. And if you believe in yourself, you will succeed, but you've got to work hard. Yeah, yeah, this is absolutely, I I definitely can concur. I think similar to you guys, what I found is that if you can't enjoy that process, then the outcome becomes, you know, it it becomes even further, right? And, And you just feel so distant to your work. And I think that's why a lot of people maybe give up within the first year or two or three and five, definitely. And it is really interesting to see uh, what really makes people kind of, you know, throw in the towel, which is also interesting. Now, we are always in the podcast, we're always kind of in the spirit of learning from all of these different domains and adapting and adopting it so that the audience and all of us here today, we can kind of go, oh, okay, you know, Kyle's doing this, Bernardini is doing this, maybe I can apply that to, you know, uh, whatever my, uh, whatever it is, photography business, you know, dance business, whatever it is. And so I am curious because Kyle, as, as we mentioned, you have all these like really cool experiences. You mentioned that you had also dabbled in optometry, right? And you've learned some really particular skills uh, from being in that space. And I think for me, what's interesting with that industry, one of my absolute favorite company is, is, and I've mentioned this in the podcast a lot, is uh, Warby Parker, right? The big online retailer that mm-hmm. that allows for people to buy really great glasses for affordable, uh, affordable prices, right? And they had created basically uh, a possible way for people to just go online, pick up some cool glasses and not have to pay at the end of the day, which I think is the the most amazing model. And of course, now more and more people are doing it. And so, but it kind of made me ask these questions about, all right, well, what were those optometry, uh, optometrists who had kind of maybe brick and mortar? What were some of the things that they were doing right? And maybe some of the things that they can still improve? Like, what are some things that you learned, Kyle, at at your time uh, being in that space? That's another another one where I was very fortunate to work directly with uh, an entrepreneur, uh, an eye doctor who actually had a landscaping business before that. Went to he had a big family and realized, okay, I need to make more, even more money. So he went to optometry school, became a doctor, and um, he attacked it. You know, like he really he didn't treat it like just a practice where he had the intention of one of him being the only doctor. He always had the intention to hire other doctors to work under him and him not doing the day to day. And the, so I would say one of the things or some of the things that I really learned was actually after I got onto the retail side. So after I was no longer working in his office and I was working with um, a glasses retailer and selling glasses, I had, I didn't know this at the time, but so I had a, it was a sales role. We had commissions and we got commissions based on one would be the pricing tier that they, that people bought into. And the other would be this package, a warranty package that had like five different things. So it had the warranty. It had, um, you could do a, a tent on your glasses to make them sunglasses. And it had several other features. And so when people would come in, 
rather than thinking about the commission and the, and the sale and all that, I really just thought about how can I help them? How can I be the most helpful? Cause I always hated the annoying salesperson when you go into a place. So I just didn't want to be that person. And again, I, I had no sales background, so I didn't, didn't know what I was doing with this. It was just intuition, I guess. And so when they would come in, I would be asking qualifying questions, not knowing that I'm qualifying them. And I, so first I kind of like point them in just the general direction, let them know, you know, this price range over here and this over there. And I could already tell by their body language, like I already knew which budget, like what budget they had in mind. Yeah. And I would ask them questions based on like what their actual needs were for glasses. So I ask them, you know, what do they do for work? And if they worked outdoors or if they had um, like a, a, a job that was very labor intensive, I'd always push them to glasses that were really durable. And I would emphasize that fact. If they were more into like how they looked in the fashion side, I would push them to more fashionable um, frames and all that. So that is what I was doing there. I didn't realize I was learning just by practice techniques that we use in digital marketing all the time, which is, which start, we know whatever you're crafting a message, it all starts with the person you're trying to sell your offer to. And it all starts with their wants and their needs. And if you're not speaking their language and you're not presenting your offer in a way that, that goes to something they actually care about, they're not going to be interested. And the, the biggest lesson or the, the biggest uh, like light bulb moment for me was one day I was selling this guy. I was trying to upsell him on the warranty package. And I start rattling off all the features of that warranty package. And he, you know, these are things he really needed, but then there were a bunch of stuff he didn't need and didn't care about. And he said, Oh no, 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 no. I don't want all that. I don't want all that. Never mind. Take it off my order. And I was saying, Oh no, no, no. Those are all, you don't have to do those. Like it's optional. You know, you don't have to have everything. And that's when I realized that, you know, people only care about a certain amount of things. So let's just say if it's like a list of, you know, five out of 10 available things and they only care about five, so it's a lot more effective to only present to them the five things that they care about and to ignore the other stuff they don't care about because they just think they're being sold at that point because they don't want that. That's not their interest. So when yeah. you can tap into their real interest and you only talk about the stuff with your offer that's relative to that, they really like it because it sounds like the perfect thing for them. Yeah, and this happens. I, I'm I'm glad that you brought this up because I feel like this happens at different scales as well, right? From a kind of a micro scale, what you were talking about, like the one-on-one -on -one interaction, for for instance. But on a larger scale, like big companies do this as well. Like what you're describing is that Southwest Airlines, for instance, right? They have a particular raving niche because they focus on you know what people who are just annoyed by the long wait on the tarmac, right? On the runway, because everyone's looking for their seats and putting their luggage on that particular seat. And so they restructure everything, cut down some of the things that most people don't care about, like the small, I don't know, small peanuts or whatever it is that people also don't care about, right? Or the extra luggage fees and all these things. And so it's really interesting how, you had brought that up, and I think this is applicable in every uh, level of business, whether you're starting out, you're already super advanced, you have hundreds of employees under you, and, uh, and this is so true. You know, you just kind of want to highlight the ones that people really do care about, and that's that we're there to serve uh, people in a, in a remarkable way. So, and I'm curious, though, Bernadine, because I, I'd imagine when you're doing video production, right, that 
some people may come to you for advice and they say, you know what, I want the video to be X a certain way, right? And perhaps you as an expert, you may or may not agree with that, right? You may be like, well, that's actually not the best way to perhaps, <laughs> you know, share your messaging. And, and Cal, we'll circle back to you about your, with messaging. And so what do you, what would you typically say and how do you kind of, uh, you know, approach that type of situation? It's so. Uh in line with what Carl was talking about is knowing your audience and the client will obviously want to sell the product to a certain niche audience and knowing their pain points. So what they, as Carl was saying, what they really care about and what they don't like. So you always got to know, um, you got to know who your audience is before you <laughs> deliver any kind of product or service to them. Yeah, absolutely. And if they say, if they are, if you're already done all of those preparation, right? Because all business owners encounter this. I think particularly yes. those who are service-based, right? You do your best to share uh, the right messaging. You do your best to attract the right audience and you know your audience. Yes. And then occasionally like one or two people come to you and, and they would ask uh, certain things that perhaps you're like, well, as an expert, you're like, oh, well, it's actually, it might be better if this is the case. Kind of, I guess some, someone in the same line as Kyle directing your, um, uh, you know, your, your, I guess your clients at that point to maybe glasses that were more durable because they are in that, in that space, even if perhaps they like those, those ones with smaller frames or lighter frames or whatever, right? So I think there's that balance that I'm glad that we kind of brought this up. Now, we did touch on messaging for a minute here. And Kyle, that's, that happens to be your specific yeah. area and how you message uh, your, I guess, what you're, you're all about, essentially, right, as a business. Now, there's a lot of kind of schools of thoughts, I think, around messaging these days. People who talk about story base, people to talk about, um, you know, value add, right? People who talk about differentiating point, all of these things. What are some mistakes that you still see people making or maybe some mistakes that most people are not addressing, right? And, and aren't aware that they're making when they're crafting their messaging so that their, their voice can stand out. Oh, that's a good question. There are, there are several things. Um, one that comes to mind immediately is that a lot of times as business owners, we're obviously very passionate about our thing. We, we love our product or service and our business, and we know it best from our point of view, but that doesn't always mean we know it best from the point of view of our ideal customers. And a lot of times business owners are too reluctant to craft a message that they, they always want to lean towards what they like instead of focusing on what their ideal customers like, or they do something kind of similar where um, let's just say they've had a certain type of customer in the past, but they want to, maybe they've raised prices. Maybe they are want to expand into like a luxury niche or something. Um, and they're still speaking the language from their past customers and they're wondering why they're not getting better customers or the customers that they really want. So that's a big thing is looking at, okay, does this actually resonate with the people I really want to attract? Or am I just saying something that I like and attracting people who are kind of, you know, similar to me, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're the ideal customers. That's a big one. Another one would be for, um, 
companies talking about themselves too much, you know, trying to like make themselves the hero of the story. So when you use storytelling in, in your messaging, you always want your ideal customers to be the hero of the story because we're all kind of like living out our own story. We have these ideas of, of who we are and how our life has gone up to this point. And we go buy something. Like if you go buy the Apple product or you go buy a new car, you, you invest in a service for your business, you don't go invest in a marketing service because you want them to be so great. You're like, man, these guys are great. I'm going to make them even better by investing in, in their service for my company. No, you're, you're thinking like, I want to have a really successful business. I want to be even more successful. So I'm investing in them so that I can be more successful and my story can get better. That's, that's how we all naturally think. And if the company that's trying to sell to someone isn't focusing on their customers and how their life and their story is going to get better, it's just a lot harder for that story to relate, you know, because people, it's like I said, people have this whole you know idea of their life and they don't really want to leave that unless it's for something better for their own life. Yeah, this is so, uh, and I, I'm so interested in why as kind of human animals, maybe even, right? We're all kind of, everyone's fairly uh, experienced and we all have our own uh, abilities to figure out things on our own. And what's interesting though, is that for a number of time, I always see this happen and happen again and again, despite everyone's best effort to kind of remind themselves, right? And so what I am curious about is why we keep kind of forgetting this. And I myself, like this, this happens to me even on like a personal life level, right? And um, let's just take our, my kids for, for example, you have a newborn, Kyle. So this is going to happen to you. Is this your first kid or your... Okay, so this is going to happen to you in the next couple of years is basically they, you know, you tell them to maybe tidy up your room, right, or, and stuff. And they just, there's, there seems to be like this wall or this block that they just cannot go through. And it's like they don't understand what I'm saying, even though I'm speaking plain English, they understand English perfectly fine. And I'm like, why is this not resonating? And then going back to your, what you're saying about, well, looking at, things from their perspective and and looking at things from things that they care about is really the 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 way in for for them right so i think this is kind of something that now i think even more so than ever because there's so much competition and saturation out there for everyone because everyone now is online right working from home a lot of them and so there's there is a lot of noise so i think clarifying that message messaging to your point is very important. Now, as far as action steps, though, how can people who are listening right now, if they're like, okay, you know what, Kyle, I've got like this messaging that I think is is close enough, but how do I hone it even more? And what are some action steps that, what are some things that they have to look at? Is it a differentiating point? Is it something that no one else is doing? Is it, um, to your point, like how do you find a story that that is an example perhaps or a prototype of the, your ideal customer, ideal audience? Like what are some uh, more kind of granular ways that people can can get started on this? Okay, so the first place I would start is with who you're trying to target. Because I, I really am a huge believer, just like what we've been talking about here, that it's more important who you're trying to sell to than it is what you're selling, uh, at least as the, the priority for your messaging. So the first thing is you want to identify your ideal buyer, or whether it's a you know, how, if it's an e-commerce business, service business, whatever you identify, customer, client, whatever. 
Um, and I look at that as I break it down to three things, the people who are the most profitable for your business, the people who are the most likable to work with, because if you don't, if you hate all your customers and clients, you're going to have burnout. It's just not going to work. Right. And then the third thing would be the people who are the best natural fit for your business. So you shouldn't, you know, it just doesn't make sense to go um, approach people with an offer that doesn't align with their wants and needs. So once you've looking at, if you've taken a look at your past uh, customers and identified those three things, then look at, okay, what's the patterns that I can find in these people, whether it could be like their buying preferences, it could be the feedback they've given you. What are the things they care about? What are the things they've maybe complained about? And that's how you can kind of start to craft that messaging for those people. And if you don't have existing customers to look at as ideal customers, or maybe you just haven't liked your customers up to this point, then what I suggest doing is going and looking at um, top competitors in your space. So if, it, if you're selling a physical product or an e-commerce business, go on Amazon and look at all the top selling products that are similar to yours and read all the reviews, all of them, and look at the things that people are most passionate about. What are the things that keep coming up? Because like, like we talked about, there could be 10 features for your product and there's only two that really actually drive the buying decision for people. So you need to find those. Um, and same thing if you're a client service business, then um, you can go in and, and find testimonials of other businesses to get people's feedback. You can go into Facebook groups and post questions asking about pain points and things like that. So those are some ways to, to get started with who. Um, and we can dive into more stuff too, if you want, but that's, that's definitely the first place to start. Yeah. And I actually really like this because what happens is that you touched on two of my favorite points and those two favorite points are really the fact that you have to keep a balance between choosing your audience, right? Choosing your audience that you like to serve because you do have to like them, but also researching what they need. I think most people just veer to one end or another. And, and whenever I talk to my students at Good Grow Great and, uh, you know, everyone who comes in and asks, okay, Talia, how do I start? that's where I would start is you do have a choice as to who you get to work with. And most people are like, no, but I want everybody, like everybody in the world. I'm like, no, no, that's not, you can't be everything to everyone because I mean, look at just even our eating pattern. We eat different things. Like the vegetable doesn't try to be the carb, you know, same thing with the car. Like the car is just from getting from one place to another not really for us to sleep in it, you know, for 10 years, though some people do that, right? So you do have that choice uh, is the first thing that you had mentioned and in choosing your audience, who it is that you're liking, uh, you're wanting to serve. And then secondly, researching deeply before you dive in. And I think this is where I think a lot of people kind of forget and they assume certain things. And I remember talking to one of my students and they had shared with me some of the objections that they think their future clients will have. And I knew kind of instantly that that wasn't the answer because I've, I've heard from other spaces and other kind of market research that we've done that that's not their biggest pain point, you know, so I don't know if they've necessarily done that research that you had mentioned. So this is, I think I'm so glad that you brought that up because people who are thinking of an idea, that's how you can test test your ideas, bringing it out to people who you have chosen to serve um, if you so choose to serve. And maybe after researching it, 
you decide, you know what, <laughs> that's not my market. Kind of like how Kyle was clean, doing the cleaning and then after cleaning, like, well, maybe not. <laughs> that's not something that I don't want to do. So it's, it's fine, right? And that's kind of the fun process that, that we get to do. So I am curious, though, because what I've learned, having grown up in different parts of the country, now living in U.S., and I do realize that there are differences in not just culturally, but also different ways that people, uh, I guess, um, you know, start their business in, in different parts of the world. Now, Bernadine, you're in Africa. And I am curious, do most people, is brick and mortar still kind of the, uh, the MO as it would in a lot of parts of the world? Uh, you know, people kind of open up a store or is, is everything moving online now where you are? Like, what are some of the climates there where you are? Absolutely, especially with the pandemic, um, everything is going online. It's everybody's working remotely. Um, the office buildings are closing down. Um, everyone's working at home. Yeah. <laughs> so things have changed dramatically. So yeah. definitely video online is the way to go. Digital marketing, online stores, yeah. that's the way to go. Yeah, and I kind of enjoy, and I think people, when because of the whole lockdown that's happening to basically the entire yeah. world, I think people are discovering what they like and what they don't like, right? And I'm glad that you brought that up, Bernadine, because uh, I think a lot of people who have kids, for instance, are finding that, well, working from home is great, but not all the time, perhaps, maybe. And, um, you know, Kyle, for instance, we mentioned, congratulations, you, you just had a newborn. Now, how old is the newborn? Is he or she... She's uh, seven months old as of two days ago. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's, that's actually a cute face. I like that face when they're, you know, they're, they're kind of chubby and they're more aware. Is that your feeling as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. She's, she's, um, she was pretty alert from the beginning, but um, yeah, she's just like, actually she's very squirmy too right now. She doesn't really want to be held as much. And she, we have a little walker thing and she's just like going all over the house with that. So she's pretty high energy and, but it's a lot of fun right now. Yeah. I think I find that, and a lot of people ask me this question because I started my business, uh, you know, after I had kids. Right. And I think some people, their view of their career versus family is, is, is somewhat uh, maybe different. You know, they say, you know what, we will establish my career first, establish my business or whatever, and then they'll have kids, which is fine as well. But for me, what I've discovered, because having kids actually made me have to make these difficult choices that I had to make anyway, you know, like I think I would have made different choices. I probably would have worked myself to the bone if I didn't have kids, but because I had kids, I'm like more choosy about certain things, right? Do you find that as well, Kyle, or is that still something that's in the, in the future perhaps? Yeah. I mean, well, one of the things (laughs) my wife and I are often asking ourselves is, uh, how much time did we really have before we had a kid? I mean, what were we doing with the spare time, you know, and we were not, we're not lazy people by any means, but it's amazing how much less time you have less free time to really sit down and focus. Um, you know, just like by your own choice, right? Like you could, you can't just choose anymore. Um, and any specific time, assuming you have to watch the baby. Um, but getting, you know, going back to what you were saying about, I guess, kind of looking at like life balance and when do you start into entrepreneurship and when not to and all that. I was kind of of the camp of I wanted to be all set up in life and 
and everything's completely perfect before having a kid. And I would say now knowing what I know after having a kid, I would have had a kid earlier Yeah, just because of how much joy it brings into your life. Yeah. Well, and also, I don't know if you agree, Bernadine, do you have kids as well? I do. I've got a son. He's 19. Oh, okay. So you're a pro at this. So I'm sure you can relate to some of this, but I agree because with the uh, earlier method, I felt like I, I think I had my kiddo when I was like 29 and I had my other one in 31 and I was like, dude, this is like way, like I should have done this when I was like 22 or something, you know, like I, I would have been so much more energized, got all this energy. I could also do my work. Uh, but you don't think that way when you're Back, you know, like when earlier in your years in your twenties or whatever it is, and uh, and you kind of fight it, you know, which is so interesting because I keep hearing people are like, no, do it earlier. It's you know makes more sense. Your body bounce back, particularly for women, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's kind of interesting because I would have totally, I think I would have had a, a much more uh, enjoyable, it maybe stress more stressful too, right? So if you kind of think of that scale uh, of or like a graph of highs and lows, maybe the highs are higher, the lows are lower right if you have kids while you're running your business and if you don't the highs are maybe also lower you know you don't get as much maybe joy from watching a human being grow up and uh, I don't know but that's I think everybody to have different perspectives but that's definitely my perspective but yeah to your point um, now your kid oh uh, Bernadine is 19 so did you did you did you kind of start the entrepreneurial journey and business business all that when how old was was your daughter at that point um as my son he was um, or your son i was i started off freelancing and then i opened up a, a boutique agency he must have been about seven years old at the time um that was the first time i started my own thing and it was difficult because I had to fetch him from school at a certain time and I had to schedule meetings at certain times and had to leave at certain times. So he was a priority and he had, he had to come first, but it was also bread and butter. So you've got to find that balance. It's interesting. Yeah. I think this is right. And I think, um, you know, this is, I think because we can't like just ignore it, right? Like it's a huge presence in our lives. We can't just be like, oh, you know, I'm just going to work. And then when they're screaming and, you know, the house is burning down figuratively, you're, you're just like, so it is kind of interesting. I think for me, it was like a readjustment. I have to kind of reset and learn how to get stuff done in shorter sprints, if that makes sense. Like I was like, when I was in college, I was like, oh, I've got three hours to, you know, read and do all these things. This is so much fun. I go out with, for dinner with my friends. And then like when I had kids, I was like, oh, no, I have five minutes to get this done or at most 30 minutes. That's why, Kyle, when you're saying that your kiddo is napping, I was like, my first one only napped for like 20, 30 minutes at a time. It was the most frustrating thing in the world. So frustrating. How, I mean, this is a conversation. This is like a parent conversation. Do you guys, how long is, is your daughter napping at this point? It's all over the place at the, at this point it's, it can be, and there's no predicting it depending on, you know, like it doesn't matter how long she's been awake or anything, but it could be anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours, usually closer to like 30, 45 minutes, but it randomly, she, you know, it could be a day where she's well rested and everything. And all of a sudden she sleeps for two hours. So it's, it's kind of funny. 
Yeah, I think that, that's nice. You get that, that unpredictability of it in a lot of ways actually prepared me. I don't know if you guys felt this way as well. I felt like it prepared me for, uh, I, I talked about this in, in another episode, was ex- expecting the unexpected and almost kind of just being okay with riding the wave. And, yeah. you know, because I was for a long time, I was like, no, I have to, I want this a certain way. So, uh, but, uh, but that went out the window very quickly. Right. So uh, now Bernadine and for, for all of these like parents who are aspirationally wanting to create something on their own, have this business, grow their business or whatever it is, and looking in the future, looking in the horizon to a well, you know, very independent kid. What are some things that do your, does your son enjoy that mom is, you know, in producing videos? Does he care at all? Or what's some of the conversation there? Um, he's also got the leadership qualities, I could say. Um, he wants to be a business owner of his own. He's an athlete. He's totally different though. But he's, nice. um, it's interesting. I mean, at his age, he's learning all about digital marketing and YouTubing and <laughs> marketing himself as a soccer player online and that kind of thing. So yeah. it's, it's amazing to watch. I mean, Gary Vee is one of our mentors. You know, he's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this is kind of, it's the way of life now. You know, I don't, I think people who kind of avoid it uh, uh, would probably understand soon that this is something that people are doing. And it's just kind of ways that kids now relate to each other, understand each other, learn things, right? So we kind of have to understand uh, where where people are moving and people who are, we're looking to serve are, are moving. So Kyle, I am curious because speaking of athlete and Bernadine, your, your son is in soccer. Yes. Okay. Speaking of athleticism, you were also an online fitness coach at one point. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I know some friends who fit, you know, coach, coach people online and I've heard about some of the challenges what were some of the challenges for, for you when you were doing it that kind of popped into your mind right now? Because I think people, when they're thinking about trying something out, they want to know, well, what are some things that I can look forward to and what are some challenges that I might want to watch out? Hmm, let me think. Challenge, um, challenges in like working with the clients or trying- We're just in, challenge- the, in, in growing that space, right? The online fitness coaching, like is that something that more people are, uh, particularly now, right? Because everyone is trying to work from home. Is it something that you feel is, is more veering more towards online now? Is it something that has, has and probably will always be a brick and mortar uh, kind of space and grounded in that area, right? Because that's a whole other thing. You have to get the space, you have to rent it, right? That's a whole other skill set, as you know. So walk us through for the audience who's listening, who has interest in that, walk us through what they can perhaps expect. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so it is, I do believe there will always be a certain percentage of the market that wants to work with someone in person. Um, and I think that there's actually a, a good, need for that because some people need, um, especially if they're injury, if they're older or if they're injury prone, um, they just need a safe way to train. So they need a partner to be there with them, to spot them and to assist them on their form and everything. But as far as when it comes to like your actual programming of your diet and your training protocols and all that kind of stuff, really, unless you live in a market where you have access to the most knowledgeable people in your area, 
Um, online really is the better way to go for the client in general, just because you can get access to really, really high quality coaches nowadays online. Um, and that would be, that's probably the most intimidating thing about getting into that space is that you are competing with people who are established experts for decades. I mean, people, you know, this is a very, this is an industry that's not going anyway, going away anytime soon. Um, and really I, I would say is, it's just like, it goes back to the messaging thing. You have to know what type of clients you want to work with and you have to talk about the stuff that's only going to attract them. So what I did is because early on I, I had an issue of clients just not doing the stuff I told them to do. We'd go on our call yeah. and there we'd have a weekly call and, and um, it basically like, yeah, I skipped these workouts or I didn't eat, follow my diet for, you know, half the week. Part of that, I think, is because I was charging too little up front, so people weren't financially committed. Um, but that's not always, you know, some people, they, if they don't have a whole lot of money, that's not always going to be a factor. But that was a big part of it. Um, but the other thing is, is I started changing up my content. So I got all my clients from Instagram. And I started basically saying things in a way that would only resonate with the type of people who I wanted to work with, meaning they had to already have the work ethic. I can't give them that. I can give them the other stuff. I can give them the plan. I can help them with the mindset stuff because that, that's a big part of it. So I would create content, honestly, like a lot of times kind of making fun of people who were, uh, who didn't follow through. Like I talked down on not following through. I talked down on laziness and I really t- talked up on discipline and all of that. And then so the missing factor for the people who related to that content, they already had the work ethic and the drive. The missing thing was information. They just don't know what to do. So that that's where I came in. And I also would give away all the information. So a lot of people don't know this, but I would give away like, I'm talking about everything besides, you know, a one-on-one personalized me and you conversation. You can't give that away because you wouldn't know the, you know, that has to be personalized. But as far as how I created the diet, how I design workouts. I gave away all that information for free. And I found that the more I put that out there and the more I went into great detail, people were so overwhelmed by the detail that they would, their reaction was kind of like, Oh, this is a lot more than I thought. I don't want to mess with this. I'd rather you just do this for me. And that was like, those two things were the biggest impact for getting good clients. Yeah, this is very interesting, right? Because I think for people who are listening who are service-based, and there's a lot of people who are listening who are service-based, whether they're consultants, you know, coaches, whatever, right? Uh, doctors, even physical therapists, all these people. And it is so crucial to attract your ideal client, whatever, however it is that you define it, you know, however it is. And going back to your point earlier on choosing people who you serve. And I think this is so, it's so important to kind of highlight this one more time and just underline it because when you're think you're talking about your ideal client, sometimes you're thinking, oh, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll start with the lowest price and that's how you can kind of, you know, get people in. That works sometimes, but going to your example earlier, it actually sometimes attract people who are not committed, which is kind of interesting. And this is something that we've also discovered with our team. And, and we're just kind of like, that's interesting. People who only pay X number of dollars 
don't actually use, because we actually want to share the material and actually have students who produce and have results, right? That's kind of the goal is for people to be able to have these, these growth, right? Small or large, doesn't matter. Um, and, but it's, it is interesting how your pricing can actually determine a lot of times your, your clients, your customer base, and a lot of times their results. And by that definition, your results as well. So I, I love just kind of this, uh, us kind of underlining this as well. Now, Bernadine, is that something that you guys, uh, from a video production standpoint, uh, do you approach pricing structure in that way as well? Oh, yes. Um, no, definitely. Uh, you've got to, it's attraction marketing. I think that's a huge thing. You've got to attract a certain client and uh, costing is the big thing at the moment, I think, um, because with lockdown, a lot of jobs were lost, a lot of companies closed down. So at, right now, it's very, very relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that we kind of touched on this because this is kind of in, in people's minds. We've had questions come in where people go, well, how do I price it now that people are maybe unemployed or whatever, right? And people who are starting out, how does that look like versus people who are already years into their business? And what does that look like? You know, do you kind of offer new features or products or whatever it is, right? Services. And so all of these Mm. questions are so exciting and I'm so glad that the audience get to listen to this. And believe it or not, though, we are coming to the conclusion of our conversation. So thank you so much to Kyle and Bernadine. And for those of you guys who are listening and curious to learn more about Kyle and Bernadine, I'll share the notes uh, on them in the show notes and you guys can check them out. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. And until then, Growth Solvers, let's keep growing.